Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. My guest this week is endurance coach and personal trainer, Coach Danielle Hurt. She is a multi-time marathoner and now recently a multi-time half Ironman finisher. And she is here today to talk to us about triathlon as a runner, because I assume rightly or wrongly that if you're listening to this podcast that your primary sport is running, but maybe you are curious about triathlon and how would you entree into the sport of triathlon as a runner? What does it take? What are the different distances? How is it different? How is it the same? And Danielle is here to answer all those questions for us. Now, you may remember her as a guest back from season one, talking about three-hour half marathon and six-hour marathon training schedules. But this conversation was a heck of a lot of fun, and I hope you learned something new. Now, before we get started, don't forget that fall races are coming up. It feels like super fast. And if you want to bounce your questions, ideas, concerns, mini freakouts off a coach, I am here and I offer coaching consults in the 30 and 60 minute increment for anything that you might want to talk about as it relates to running, racing, even if you're not racing, we talk about running and questions that you have to help you feel like you're on the right track and to maybe correct some things that aren't going the way that they should be. So you can book those on my website, runningexplained.co slash coaching consult, or you can also follow the link in the Instagram bio at running explained. Hope to see some of you soon. Danielle, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Yes, Elizabeth, I'm excited to be back. It's been a while. It has, it has. Over a year, you were a guest back on season one. We talked about training for a six plus hour marathon or Mm -hmm. a three plus hour half marathon. I know that episode was so helpful to so many runners, Uh, but you are back today. We're talking about, so you're interested in triathlon as a runner. But before we get into that topic, since it has been a while, go ahead and reintroduce yourself to our listeners. And of course, starting with a question, how did you become a runner? Awesome. Yes. I am Danielle, also known as Coach D. Um, I got into running, gosh, I keep saying like a decade ago, but now it's over a decade ago. I started running in 2011. Um, I was a never runner, so I did not run in high school. I did not run in college. I actually had doctor's notes to get out of the mile in high school. And I used to show up to gym class with, for all my Northeastern friends, a Dunkachino. If anyone remembers that, I used to show up with a Dunkachino for my gym teacher and be like, hey, hey, here we go. And then I wouldn't go to gym. So it's ironic now that, you know, 15, 20 years later, my full-time career is a personal trainer, running coach, endurance coach, um, and strength coach. Um, So it's just been a wild ride. I got started couch to marathon, essentially, um, which people ask me all the time, like, well, how did you do it? I'm like, I was 22, resilient, nothing better to do, and honestly, just dumb. So I don't recommend it. Um, I ran my first 5K. I remember finishing, feeling on top of the world. Um, I remember telling athletes like, guys, I've been where you've been. I finished a 5k. I went right to Dunkin' Donuts and like had a coffee and and whatever donuts and bagel and was like, guys, I can't do anything else. I just ran a 5k. Like I remember those feelings. And like, so I've come from that. My first marathon was Philadelphia marathon, fell in love with the marathon. Since then I've run 17 marathons. Um, I'm actually taking a break this year from running marathons because it's a lot. So we're kind of taking a break on that, playing with the halves and playing in triathlons, which is why we're here to chat. (laughs) 
So exciting. I know I'm also taking, well, I already read, well, you and I met uh, in person at Boston this year where I did run, but I am also not running a, I'm not running a fall marathon, Mm -hmm. which I'm like, oh, it's so nice not to be training for a marathon after running two basically back-to-back cycles because it's a lot, but I feel like that's a a really good kind of entry point into our conversation about triathlon because one of the things we're going to talk about is the volume of training required to successfully uh, entree into the triathlon world. Mm-hmm. But before we get started, I think everybody's coming to this conversation. Maybe you're a seasoned multi-time full Ironman finisher listening to this episode. This first part of the conversation is probably going to be knowledge you already know, but we are going to introduce our listeners to the sport of triathlon, the different distances and what just kind of how the structure of the sport works. So Danielle, go ahead. Give us the, uh, the four, one, one, the lowdown, as we all used to say back when Duncachinos yeah. were Dunk-a-chino. in vogue. <laughs> I'm now really yeah. going to go back and try to find Duncachinos. They're like, what is that? I think it was like a hot chocolate and coffee mix. Anyway. Do you remember um, that they had those like culottas, the cotton yes! culottas? Like the, str- the strawberry culotta and like, yes. <laughs> I love those. Yes. Those were my after school. Yeah, Dunkin' yeah, Donuts we drive through. Like just getting like jacked up on caffeine, not realizing it. I mean, it was like before Starbucks had like the frappuccino. No, we had the culotta, okay, with the whipped cream. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so back to triathlon. <laughs> We're talking about Dunkin' Um, So triathlon is a three sport, dis- uh, three disciplines within one sport, and it's going to be a swim, a bike completed by a run. So that's how you'll finish the triathlon. Try needing three. Um, your shortest distance is going to be the sprint and there is no parameter that it must be a 500 yard or 500 meter swim and 12 mile bike. It usually culminates with a 5k at the end for the run, but the swim and bike are usually dictated by, um, just the area that the race is being held in permits and things like that. Then you're going to move into an Olympic distance, which it's the Olympics. So it ties back to the Olympics. So it does have uh, definitions. But I will say I've been to a lot of races where it's maybe 25-mile bike, maybe 26, and a lot of that just comes down to the courses. But that finishes with a 10K run, so every distance getting a little bit longer. Once you get out of the 10K, I'm sorry, out of the Olympic, you're going to move into half Ironman territory. Um, and those are, again, brand, it's a branded race. There are half Ironman distances that are not branded by Ironman, but we'll use Ironman uh, for this example um, just to kind of keep it simplistic. But in a half Ironman, you have a 1.2 mile swim, a 55 mile bike ride, and then a 13.1 mile run for a total of 70.3 miles. And then above that, you're going to have your full Ironman distance, which is going to be a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride and a uh, marathon at the end. And I'm going to back up. It's 56 miles in the half iron, man. I'm not going to jinx, uh, pull myself a mile. So 56 in the half iron and 112 in the full. Um, but the great thing is with that, all abilities are welcome. It is a range. I think you kind of mentioned at the beginning of this, the amount of time it takes to prepare. Obviously, the longer the distance of your goal race, the more time and training volume you're going to have to put in. Um, but that's pretty much the, the basics and the, uh, if you will, distance standards um, for triathlon. So it's interesting to me that we use the phrase Iron Man, which is clearly it's a, it's a trademark branded company, like it's a proprietary phrase, the way that Xerox and Kleenex is, but we yes. kind of use it generically as like an Iron Man to mean a triathlon, but it actually yes. is like, it's a brand. Yes. I would almost say it's similar to somebody who maybe if you're new to the sport, you may have caught yourself saying, oh, I ran a marathon this weekend when really you meant a marathon 5k. 
a 5k, right? And so I think sometimes we just throw the words in there without really meaning harm. It's just, we didn't know where the, the words came from. Um, but yes, to your point, uh, Iron Man is a branded corporation. Um, it's part of the same company that owns Rock and Roll. Um, so they're all owned by competitor. And Iron Man um, does a really great job of supporting local race uh, organizers. Um, some people have a difference of opinion me on that one, but they have learned great things. Um, and they'll work with local race companies to brand their races and bring them up to an Ironman standard, um, which usually just means a lot of marketing, um, a lot of great resources available uh, just to make a larger scale event. But at the end of the day, triathlon, period, is swimming, biking, running, regardless of the brandedness of it. Now, a lot of people who come into triathlon come into triathlon kind of carrying with them their primary sport or discipline, right? Like there, I think obviously there are people who grow and develop in the sport itself and can become basically equally good at all three disciplines. But most people, when they start are like, I'm a runner who is trying triathlon. So I have to kind Mm -hmm. of get to know the bike and get to know the swim. Or somebody might be a cyclist and say, well, I'm going to teach myself to run. I'm going to teach myself to swim. Um, but we're going to focus on this as, uh, since it's a running podcast, right? We're going to assume that running is your primary sport that is getting you interested in triathlon. Um, in the triathletes that you work with, and I think it, it, this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you are primarily, like I said, a running coach, a dist- an endurance coach, not like a super high level triathlon specific coach, you know, mm-hmm. in that way, but you do train triathletes. Yep. What do you tend to see in the triathletes that you do work with in what sport tends to be their strongest and what sport tends to be the weaker link? So I, um, I do coach a lot of athletes into what I call like introduction to the sport. Uh, so starting with sprints, I've taken athletes all the way from sprints up to half Ironman distances. So, you know, even though I'm not a high technical triathlon uh, coach, my primary focus is always running. Um, we, we can get to that distance finish and have fun and be safe and injury free. When I see runners entering the sport, the number one thing that gets said to me is I'm not running enough. Danielle, there's no, I'm not. And a lot of that just comes from we're used to as a runner being told increase frequency, right? Increase volume. Um, all those things that that tends to, we associate with like, Oh, if I'm going to run a 10 K, I got to run four days a week. So how am I going to train for an Olympic? And I'm only running twice a week. How am I going to, Oh, Danielle, this doesn't match the running rules of 50% of your long run, you know, on the weekends. And then my, my weekday mileage, it, it, it doesn't, the volumes are different. And that is always the number one thing that I, I see and I hear. The second one is the bike tends to be harder than people anticipate. We tend to think, oh, we're runners. No problem. My legs do that. The amount of quad strength that is required um, for effective cycling, even calf strength, which is totally different. I actually had this happen to me last weekend or two weekends ago. I was out on a training ride and I was doing hills and I know cyclists have strong calves. I see it, right? I know the anatomy of it, I, the physiology, I get it. But I had yet to experience it. And I remember riding my bike and being like, oh my God, why are my calves so sore? What is happening down there? And I'm like crushing it up this like 10% grade hill. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And it's these little things that are different than running because it's not impact, right? We're not running and rebounding off the Achilles like we do in running. It's a different type of stress. So I think they're always astounded by how difficult the bike is compared to the run. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it like a weak link. I think a lot of it is just adaptation. Um, swimming, I'm going to be honest, I've yet to meet triathletes that like love the swim. Like it's just, if you're, if you're a triathlete and you're a swimmer, 
you must have been a swimmer before you came to the sport because a lot of us, the reason it's first is so you can get it over with. I don't know if that's true <laughs> or not, but that's how I view it. Like you just get it over with and you move on. Um, but a lot of times swimming ends up being just get through it. And it's not necessarily a weak link. Um, I just think as adults, we also don't swim that much. So that's probably a piece of it. But I always say that people are surprised at how hard cycling is compared to running. If they're so a so let's talk about that volume thing. Cause I, this is, I think one of the, and I'm glad you brought this up right away. One of the biggest misconceptions when you're transitioning from, uh, basically running specific, like you may engage in swimming or cycling as cross training that supports your running, but primarily you're mostly running, mm -hmm. um, to triathlon. Mm -hmm. And like you said, your running volume reduces. And I think what people don't understand about it is that, yeah, you might be running less, but your vo total volume of training is likely increasing and sometimes mm -hmm. very significantly. Yep. Um, I want to talk about, I want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So when we're looking at the volume of training for a triathlete, and again, I'm going to caveat this with the answer is it depends. It depends on the type of athlete you are. It depends on the resources you have available. It depends on where your strengths and weaknesses are, but I'm just going to talk from a general perspective. You might have. 50% of your weekly volume of cycling. And that means maybe 30% is running and 20% is, you know, swimming or those other two percentages could switch. It just depends on the type of athlete you are. You know, I personally, when I entered the sport, running was my foundation. I knew I could run. So that did not become my priority when I first started the sport. I did not need to spend three, four hours a week proving to something that I can run. I just finished a marathon, was coming off of that. And I was going into triathlon training and I said, I'm going to cut my running volume down to focus on my cycling because that's my weaker sport. And quite honestly, it's the longest part of the triathlon. So it is the sport that you want to spend the most time in. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about, because I think this, I think we hear like, oh, a, a half marathon or doing a marathon, obviously that can be several hours of running, but in terms of how much time you spend on the individual sports within the event, mm -hmm. like you're on your bike for the majority, I would say mm -hmm. you spend the most time on the bike. Correct. I mean, unless you're really, really fast. Um, but yeah, the majority of your race is spent um, cycling and you know, you want to make sure that you're the other hard piece of this whole, uh, you know, puzzle is getting enough base volume. I'm sure we had our tons of episodes here that you guys can jump back into about zone two. So I'm not going to dive deep onto it, but the same principles apply. So as your volume increases in these other disciplines, you have to make sure that you're still getting that base. So while you're training for, we'll use the Olympic, because uh, that's probably something um, that people can work up to is, is, you know, a safe distance and a safe period of time. If you're biking 25, 26 miles in that, you know, Olympic triathlon, then you're probably training 70-ish miles a week. You're probably going to hit that 20 miles, 25 miles on the bike during your training, which means you're probably going to need another 30 to 40, 50 miles to support hitting those higher volumes on the weekend. Um, and that ends up becoming more of the focus. Uh, again, just as what you mentioned before, it's the primary piece of your, your race. So you have to spend more time invested there. Um, the other piece of this thing is, you know, you're having so much volume, right? So the, to train three disciplines, it's a lot more time. Running is the highest risk for injury of the three disciplines. So we want to minimize that risk and make sure we're putting our eggs, if you will, into different baskets, the ones that are going to produce more. You're actually going to make up more time on the bike in any type of 
um, triathlon, regardless of distance, than you most likely would on the run. Um, so that's another piece of it as well. Entering the sport as a runner, a lot of times they come in thinking, oh, I'm going to PR this 10K at the end of it. And I'm like, I'd rather shift our efforts and focus on, you know, the cycling, be really strong there. And you know what it feels like to hurt on the run. So like, don't stress that. Don't overthink the running portion of it. You know what it's like to have a tough final 3K, 5K. So we don't need to experiment with that. We need to experiment and get more into this, uh, the cycling piece of it. You know what is an essential accessory for any athlete, multi-sport or single sport? A great pair of sunglasses. And you know that my favorite pairs of sunglasses always come from Gooder. Gooder excels at making affordable, no-slip, no-bounce, polarized, stylish, a million color option sunglasses for any single or multi-sport athlete. Biking, golfing, swimming, skiing, the list goes on and on. If you don't have at least one pair of Gooder sunglasses in your rotation, well, my friends, I can say I think you're missing out. With so many styles and colors to choose from, there is at least one perfect pair of Gooder sunglasses for you. And now you get to get a pair with free shipping using code RUNEXP on your next order. That's code R-U-N-E-X-P used on Gooder.com. You get to get free shipping and support the podcast. And hey, you'll get a great pair of sunglasses too. Don't forget, that's code RUNEXP, R-U-N-E-X-P on Gooder.com. Look good, run Gooder. I want to dive more into this and really, really help people understand because this is, but this is something I see that a lot of people whose primary sport is just running really struggle with depending on what they're training for, but specifically the marathon, sometimes the half marathon as well, is that you're not running anywhere near maybe that total distance by race day, right? So if we're a, a newer or a novice half marathoner, your longest long run might be 10 or 11 miles. For the 99% of marathoners out there, your longest long run is going to be well short of 26 miles, right? Anywhere from, you know, maybe 14 or 15 miles, depending on how long you're spending on your feet, all the way up to maybe 22 miles for like a really well accomplished, very speedy runner who's also doing a long run workout. But you're not getting anywhere near 26 miles but to then tell somebody who's training for a triathlon oh yeah but your longest long run will also probably not be anywhere close to it would be were you training for this race running distance standalone people lose their minds minds. (laughs) well the so one really important uh, thing to consider especially if you are just entering the sport obviously so we're talking about the majority here we're not talking about podium athletes, right? We're not talking about somebody that is very experienced in the sport. In terms of your race effort, when you are racing a triathlon as a beginner, novice, inter- even inter- I would argue intermediate athletes, um, you're not racing at the same effort as you are in a half marathon. So half marathon pace, let's you know, kind of keep that, even if we look at it as a half Ironman distance, half marathon and a half Ironman distance race is not going to be just over threshold. <laughs> we are, right, if we're racing a half marathon, we are just maybe 10, 15, 30 max maybe seconds over threshold. That's a really hard effort to sustain. In a triathlon at a half Ironman distance, your half marathon will not be at threshold. It might actually be at marathon effort. Why? Because by the time you get to the run, You've already run or you've already biked for two to three hours, maybe four, and you swam for an hour. Um, So in training, we don't need to teach our body to be at that high level of training with like the 10 mile run like you're for the long run. 
because we're at a much lower intensity level. And so we're able to carry over the aerobic capacity and the strength training that we built in the other disciplines to help us get through on the run. And I hope that's that really helpful to, th- <laughs> yeah, to, to think of this. And I, mean, we talk about it, training intensity, intensity distribution, you know, the, basically the, the longer that you're spending doing something, the lower the intensity mm-hmm. has to be. I cannot run my 5k pace for 90 minutes. That's physiologically impossible. Right. But nor can I run my one hour race pace for my marathon. Right. That's also physiologically impossible. So thinking about, you know, the duration of mm-hmm. something like a, an Olympic triathlon or a half Ironman, and it's several hours of cumulative work. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't race that at or above threshold because right. that's physiologically impossible. So I think, yeah, like I think what we and runners tend to be very competitive with themselves and think, well, if let's say, well, I typically run, you know, I can run a, a sub two hour half marathon usually. And then to think, well, I'll just run my normal, you know, sub two hour half marathon as part of my half Ironman. And and you have to think back way up, you're going to be running <laughs> yep, on nope. much more tired legs. <laughs> yep. That is probably not the pace we're aiming for. Um, which I have to say makes it even more impressive when we are watching the, com- you know, competitive, the age groupers and the elite triathletes mm-hmm. when they're running these fast times off the bike. That's even in my mind, I'm like, Dan, you ran a 253, you know, marathon, marathon. after all. Wow. Yeah, right? yeah. So context here matters greatly. Yeah. yeah. And I also, um, I think, and this is actually a question, a conversation my boyfriend and I were having about some of these elite triathletes and running a 253, running, you know, a 245 marathon in Kona after 112 miles of biking in the winds. You're just like, how? And like one of my arguments, and I've actually would, you know, if anyone out there wants to have a deeper conversation about this, I would love to it because I just maybe don't have enough knowledge on it. But I argue that that Pacific athlete has been training to run a marathon at that pace for that sport, that if you were to just take them and drop them into a marathon without the other two, they might not be able to run faster because they've trained for that specific sport at that specific pace. And I think that's also super important here. When you are training for your run in a triathlon, you're not running road racing paces. You're running paces that are based on you completing two other disciplines before you get to that. Um, and I think that's also a super important mo- like kind of thing to separate here is you're going, and it's almost like we talk about, you know, oh, the summer's coming, get ready to slow your paces, guys. And, you know, we, we understand that. But then when we're in the moment, maybe we don't. But it's the same concept of, you know, when you're going to do a brick workout, which is two disciplines back to back, it could be a swim bike or a bike run or a swim run. Like there's lots of different ways you can brick depending on your, um, where you're at, but your pace off that bike is not going to be the same pace. Even if we say zone three, which is probably equivalent to just around threshold, that's not going to be the same pace as say your road running threshold without that sport prior. So I think that's also a really important thing to kind of separate and helps people get in the mindset for their training. So they don't go into their race expecting, Oh, I'm just going to run my, my 10 K pace. And I'm like, no, you're going to bonk. That's not going to end well. You're going to be, as you said, your legs are going to be tired, but also your energy reserves are going to be so much lower. You've used so much stored energy by that point that yes, you're taking in food, you're taking in fluids, but it's a totally different nutrition adaptation that's happening compared to road running. And I think we've seen that, uh, that, you know, triathletes trying to transition to just 
uh, either cycling more. So I'm thinking obviously, cause the world I inhabit is very running focused, but I'm thinking, um, you know, of, of some high profile triathletes who tried to transition into professional running specifically and really struggled. And okay. obviously it's not because they're, they're not genetically, you know, predisposed, they clearly are incredibly talented, far more talented than the vast majority of the population. And yet we, I think we struggle sometimes to understand triathlon as its own sport, even because we think, you know, like, ah, but it's, you know, it's three sports in one, but it is its own sport with its own unique, its own unique profile and demands. Yeah, absolutely. It has different demands on the body. It has different demands on recovery, different demands on nutrition intake and just the way, I mean, I'll never forget my first run off the bike. I was living in Pennsylvania at the time. There was this trail that I would go to and I would go out my bike. I think it did like eight or 10 miles on the bike. And I was training for a sprint, I believe at the time. Um, so I did like eight or 10 miles and got off. I'm like, I'm gonna do 15 minutes. At this point I had run like uh, four or five marathons. I was like, ah, what if, it's gonna be, it's, it should be easy. Oh my gosh. I looked like a baby giraffe. Like my legs, I remember starting and I was like, what is happening here? And I like, it took some time. Um, but again, it's that you have muscle groups working in one direction, you stop them. You don't have much time to rest and now you want them to work in a different way. So correct. It's a totally different sport. And like, even the transitions are something we have to do. Like during a half marathon on a road race, we don't worry about that right? If anything, maybe we worry about stopping and getting water, but like you have to think about the separate sport. How do you get water on a bicycle? You don't drink water or take nutrition for 45 minutes of swimming. How do you manage that? So it's a totally different element, totally different sport. You're absolutely correct. Let's talk about training volume. Cause again, for runners who are used to training by distance, right? Like, Oh, I run 20 miles a week. Oh, I run 50 miles a week. You know, um, you can't, there's no, you can't be like, Oh, I'm, it's easier. Let me put it this way. It's so much easier to, to train by time with triathlon because you can't really do an equivalent of like, well, how much running does cycling equal? And then what's the, it's like, no, 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 no. Just do it yeah. by time. Yep. So broadly speaking, when you're looking at what a kind of low, moderate and high volume triathlete weekly training volume looks like, what are the numbers that we're talking about here? And as always, it depends, right? We're going to throw that one in there. Um, I would say if you're looking at a sprint distance, you probably could get by. Um, and I say get by, this is someone I consider like a weekend warrior, right? So you're just having enough time to get, get through life, get the, get the workouts done probably in the range of that three to five, maybe six at the high for a sprint, three to six. Um, and I say three at the really low, but that's, a true weekend warrior who's maybe only doing small dosing during the week, but that's extreme low side. Um, if you're injury prone, I probably wouldn't recommend that because it's not going to look good on race day, but three to six Olympic, same deal, five to eight, maybe, maybe up to 10. Um, that's the high, high end half Ironman. Uh, this one varies greatly because you actually could get by on the lower end as you know, as long as you're dosing the intensity appropriately. Um, and I think this is, I, I use the word dosing all the time. When I talk with athletes because if you're going to be working out longer, meaning you're having lo- longer workout hours, you're going to be doing more zone two, just because you do more training hours does not mean you're doing higher intensity. You're most likely just continuing to build aerobic base, which is going to help you dose and the, those intensity minutes. Um, so at, uh, anywhere for a half Ironman, eight to 15 hours a week 
Um, again, that's a broad range because a level three half Ironman, you could be doing two, two hour rides in the middle of the week. The same person training for that same race that's a level one half Ironman athlete might be only doing an hour each of those times. So that's where the discrepancies come in. But that level three athletes can be doing a lot more zone two. Um, full distance Ironman, I'm not even going to speak to that totally because I've never trained for one. Um, I have a client who wants to do one and I'm like, oh shit, if she does one, like I'm going to have to do it with her. So I would really hope that she doesn't want to do one the next year. But anything, you're looking at like 15 hours plus uh, minimum for – and that just comes down to, I mean, you could spend up to six hours on the bike in one weekend uh, for a full Ironman distance. So if you're going to do a full Ironman distance, I 100% recommend hiring a coach that is iron that is sport specific and has done an Ironman because there are so many things that can happen in that sport um, just in general, but there's your broad ranges. And to put this in context of how it relates to a traditional, you know, running load, I would say... For most, you know, average person training for a marathon, right, um, in kind of that that low moderate volume, that marathon specific training is probably going to be between five and eight hours a week, just for that. So if we're thinking about the Olympic distance, which is, you know, swim, bike, ten k, you're looking for a marathon, essentially a marathon mm-hmm. training worth of investment for this distance. I think we think, well, it's just a 10 K yeah, but it's, but it's all of it put together. It's all the things you got to um, look at. Yeah, exactly. And even for extremely high volume runners, I don't know many runners. And this is people I'm talking about, like, you know, people who are going after an OTQ marathon time and, and people who are like podiuming at ultra marathons, right? those people are probably running between 12 and 15 hours a week. Right. So, and that's, that's kind of the highest volume one gets in running as a only running in your sport. So kind of putting that in context of the volume of training required for these triathlon distances, just kind of put, let's put some perspective on like, well, what does that mean in the context of how you, well, you train for this half marathon and you ran four to six hours a week. That's not going to be anywhere near enough to get you into a half Ironman. Yeah, I always think it's interesting. So when I first got into sport, I got my hands on tons of books. And the first chapter of a lot of these books that coaches have written for triathlon training is about time management, organization, and getting your family, your friends, your support on board with you. Um, We talk about that for marathon training, right? Any athlete that I have, I'm like, what's your support network look like? Let's map out. When are you going to do these runs? That's primary for marathon training. So even if you're doing, you know, Olympic or half Ironman, you need to have those conversations because the time investment is that much. And we're not saying this to scare anyone. And again, I say this at the beginning of every marathon cycle. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm saying it to prepare you because I want you to be aware of where this volume is going to go and not have you feel like you're sacrificing, but feel like you're prioritizing. There's a, you know, mind shifts in that have a lot to do with, you know, how we feel about our workouts and we feel about our progress. Um, but yeah, time management, like probably the number one asset when it comes to triathlon training. Let's talk about brick workouts because this is a really unique feature of triathlon training. Yeah, so bricks. um, Fun? Fun? I don't know. It depends on how you look at them. Um, There's many different ways to kind of do bricks here. Um, I've actually done like the swim into a run. And a lot of that is just to run uncomfortably because like a lot of times I don't get the chance to swim or to run when I'm like kind of gross and like I don't like the way I feel. My my, my tri-suit feels weird. Like it's a nice little transition. 
Um, but the most important brick or the one that you'll see most often in a training plan is going to be the bike to run. And why that reason I, that story I told before your legs are doing different things and the muscles are working differently and you need to kind of teach them what this new adaptation is going to be. Um, so lots of different ways to kind of incorporate them. You could do something simple if you're just entering the sport of do a bike ride and then go for a 10 minute run after, um, the minutes and the dosing don't have to be super high. And I think that also we look on, you know, social media, you look in training plans and you'll see a brick usually closer to race day. It's usually in the race specific period. You don't do them usually super early on. It's usually as you're building that resiliency that you'll start to do them and they're not super long. Um, it doesn't have to be like a 45 minute run after a two hour bike. Maybe it is for you for what you are as an athlete, but right now I have a lot of entry to sport um, athletes that are runners first, trying out triathlon. I'll send them out for a mile, just do a mile. If they're training for a sprint, get off the bike, go run a mile um, and just see how your legs feel. Let's build up that resiliency. And then closer to race day, maybe we'll expand it a little bit, increase that distance, maybe add some threshold, you know, play with pace and stuff like that. But yeah, the run or the, I'm sorry, the bike to run is your most important um, brick that you're going to do. Thinking about the training intensity distribution of triathlon training, and you alluded to this earlier, and that is, it's a ton of aerobic building work. It's a ton of time in zone two, even the best triathletes in the entire world do an absolute crap ton of work below their aerobic threshold. Um, and so if you thought for some reason that that didn't apply to triathlon training, you have it backwards. It's actually even more important. Yep. However, I, however, I think this is what really trips people up sometimes is that when we are and training intensity distribution is simply how much time you spend at different intensities throughout your training week. And broadly speaking, for most people, we'll be spending at least 80% of our training time below our aerobic threshold and the rest of it spent at a moderate or high intensity. Now for triathlon, that trans that obviously that might, you know, man be manipulated depending on your experience and your training volume. But this is also, I think, very interesting in that your training intensity distribution as a whole might follow the appropriate split, but your running might be mostly workouts as opposed to somebody who's used to doing a ton of zone two while running. You are now probably getting the majority of your zone two from the bike and the mm -hmm. swim. Absolutely. So when we are reducing, so we'll continue to say with like the 10 K, um, sorry, the 10 K, the Olympic distance, um, you're training or something like that. You're probably only going to run twice a week. If you were training for a 10K, you would be running more than twice a week. So you would probably have two other runs that would be, like you mentioned, in that zone too. But now if we're only running twice a week, we might not match perfectly 80-20 in that run, knowing that you're getting other aerobic builds from, as you mentioned, most likely the cycling. But we're going to spend a lot of time, and it's going to vary week by week, and that's more where the load management comes in. So each week, um, if you're you know first time entering the, the 10K you might be spending a lot of time at interval pace in the first part of your training plan. And every week you're adding more minutes to your interval pace and you're building, building, building. In a triathlon, you might spend one week at interval. And then the next week, because maybe we're putting more higher intensity into your cycling, then that might be an easy run. And then the next week you might be in threshold because now we have more zone two in the cycling. So it becomes this balancing act between three different disciplines. Um, a great way to kind of look at it is we eat three meals a day right? We don't eat the exact same food for carbo carbohydrates, fat, and protein at every single meal. 
and maybe you have dinner plans at night. So, oh, we have to change and, you know, not that we're not skipping lunch. We're not doing that, but maybe we're adjusting to make sure we maintain our protein intake or our carbohydrate intake. So meals shift throughout the day, throughout the week, week over week. Same thing with our triathlon training. Um, as one discipline intensity goes up, another one has to go down to compensate. Um, and so even though you feel like this doesn't feel progressive, it is progressive in the duration of the training plan. Um, and then, you know, as you're getting closer to race day, you may find that you have higher intensity throughout and you might tip the scales and not be doing 80-20. You might be 70-30. Um, but for the majority of your training, you are in that 80-20 based on the three principles. And if this is like, you're, it's kind of like, okay, I'm not even quite sure what that means. Like this is what coaches are for, right? And even run coaches, triathlon coaches, right? Because it can be challenging to understand what you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, a part of me always, it breaks my heart a little bit whenever I talk to runners in a consult or I'm onboarding a new runner and I kind of talk about, you know, ask about their training history and like, you know, what, what have you done previously? What kind of training plans were you following? And they're like, well, I just kind of, I was kind of making it up as I went along or like, oh, I kind of wrote my own training. Right. And I've seen that be, to be completely frank with you, a dumpster fire mm -hmm. to, yeah, you actually kind of stumbled into something that seemed like it was working for you. Now you're talking to me, so it wasn't working all the way. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, so it, it's not to say that one cannot learn this, right? Mm -hmm. This is something, this is just education. This is just knowledge that one can acquire with study and practice. But look, we've just talked about how much time it takes to train for this. Do you have the time it takes to learn how to train for this as well as yeah. to then also train for this, right? This is why coaches exist. So yeah. if you are confused or kind of like, okay, I'm not, I, that the concept makes sense, but I have no idea how that might look in execution. Yeah. This is when finding a coach or working with a reputable training plan from a reputable company. This is when those resources are going to be helpful for you. Yeah. And I caution a lot of times, like I've, I've bought almost every triathlon book that I know under the sun. And I know there's athletes out there. I know you're going to do this. You're going to go out you're going to buy 80, 20. You're going to buy the triathlon Bible. You're going to buy something and you're going to skip the first 400 pages of the book. And you're going to go to the back in the appendix where the training plans are. They have template training plans available. And I know what you're going to do. You're going to go, great. That's me. And you're going to rip it out and you're going to put it on your fridge. And oh, I'm going to go do this. And this is going to be me wrong. You have missed all of the why to how that was created and how you can adapt it and make adjustments for your life. Because what a training plan. And again, these coaches that write books and put you know plans in the book, there's nothing wrong with them. They have just shown you examples of how to apply the principle for that specific volume in that week. That's all it is. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's just what doesn't happen or what it doesn't apply to is you got sick on Tuesday. Your kid got sick on Tuesday. The track was closed. Now what? The pool was closed. That's another one for triathlon training. What the hell do we do when like I got to the pool and the pool is closed? How do I change my workouts around? That template plan that you've just stuck on your fridge doesn't work anymore because you haven't read how to apply the logic behind it all. Again, back to your point, Elizabeth, that's why you hire a coach. We've read the book. We've applied the book. We've tested the book on ourselves. Like this becomes, you know, our area of expertise, what we live and breathe. Um, and, or if we don't have the answer, we have resources. We have other running nerd friends, triathlon nerds. We have people we can talk to. We have other coaches um, to kind of get insight on stuff. So yeah, just ripping out a training plan and sticking on your fridge doesn't work for triathlon. I'm, I, if you get lucky, but if you want to race, if you want to be good at the sport, you want to enjoy the sport and not come out of it with massive injuries or bad, you know, juju, 
highly recommend getting with a tri club, getting with a triathlon coach, um, or even if you had to work on one specific discipline, I think that's another area we could touch on. It's just like, if you recognize I have a weak point, maybe I just need to work with a coach for that specific discipline. Um, because I can probably get some more gains there and optimize my performance. Uh, that's probably something that we didn't really chat about, but that's, yeah. Don't just rip it out of a book, please, please. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to ask you about how, as we're like, oh, you have to do all these things and more. How does strength training fit into this? Ah, yes, that's the and more. How about before we dive into that, um, no one talks about these pieces of swimming. So running, you put your shoes on. You maybe do your warm-ups if you're like, you know, feeling into it that day. But a lot of us, let's be real. You put your shoes on, you head out the door. Um, swimming takes time. You got to put your suit on, got to put your things in, got to do all your stuff. You got to make sure you have a lane reservation. Cycling, you got to make sure you get the air tires or your tires are inflated. You got to make sure your cassette's ready. It's greased. Everything's ready to go. You're, it takes a lot more time in general to prep for each of your sports. So I think that gets missed, which then bites into how much time do I have for a cool down? How much time do I have for recovery post, right? Doing my stretching, doing um, my strength training. And so the answer is yes, strength training is just as important. Um, this is an area where I, I built out a strength training plan for endurance athletes that targets everything from the, the runner to the triathlete, because we don't just spend time on lower leg. Cause if you're swimming, you need to work on shoulders and core. Um, this sounds silly, but like your neck extensions, cause when you're swimming in open water, you have to pick your head out of the water. You're not swimming the way that a lap swimmer swims. And so I tend to hear a lot of, uh, triathletes tell me their neck always hurts. Um, so there's a lot of little tiny strength training that's not the same as um, running. So yes, you still have to fit that in somewhere. And does it need to be an hour a day? No. But this is also where periodization comes into play. And again, hiring a coach to step back, look at your year and say, you know what? You're not doing a fall triathlon and you're only going to do 5Ks and 10Ks. We have more time to work on your strength then. So we're going to increase your strength training during this period. And then as we go into training for a triathlon, maybe reduce the strength training. We won't focus on maintenance, you know, just pick two or three movement patterns that you really want to stay strong in squat, deadlift, maybe some upper body, um, low reps, high, high weight, get you through the season and then start the cycle again. So the answer is yes. You still need to strength train. Um, doing those three sports, uh, swimming and biking are actually non load bearing. So you actually don't get great resistance training from those two sports. That's why they're great for cardio, not necessarily great for um, resistance training. So many moving pieces to consider in all <laughs> yes. of this. And then assuming, right, we're talking about regular people with regular jobs and families, mm -hmm. and maybe you have a commute and you have to go to soccer practice and you have to go grocery shopping. Uh, and this is, of course, kind of echoing 
and and reinforcing what Danielle said, it's like, yeah, you, this is this was probably going to be a family endeavor in some point, right? And I also, I mean, I know uh, couples who are both marathoners, or one's a marathoner, one's a triathlete, and what they do is they have discussions about whose season it is, right? So in one season, yeah. one person it has takes the priority about their time training, and and then they switch, right? So then the other spouse gets their turn for their season, but it's probably more than just blocking out time on your calendar, but like, how does this fit into my life and the people who are also a part of my life? Yep. Yep. That is what you just described is exactly what my household does. We discuss who has what races, who's, you know, who, who gets the the forefront, who, who gets the podium this season. And that's not to say that like, so right now it's not my season. Um, it's my partner season. I I'm sitting back. I'm just hanging out, having fun. Um, if I were to step up and say, Hey, I really want to train for a PR, then all of a sudden I can do that. Um, but it helps when we're prioritizing workouts because let's say we get to the end of the week and he still has a, a swim to do. I have blah, 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 something else to do. Okay. I want us to go out to dinner together. Wait, you have to go swim, go do that. And then I'm not gonna be mad about it because we've made this decision as a unit to say, this is what's important to you. And we also spent the time to talk about our training week. Um, that is a huge thing. I encourage this for runners, but also triathletes. You need to block time. You need to look at your calendar and say, okay, these are the days that I'm going to swim. These are the days that I'm going to bike. Like, let me look at the pool schedule. Is a lot of organization up front that's going to save you a ton of time later and save you from a ton of disappointment. Um, it might even mean having conversations with like your coworkers of just, hey guys, I'm going to be coming in. If I normally go in at 8 a.m., I'm going to be in at 8.15, Tuesdays and Thursdays because I'm going to swim before. Get them to buy in because people love to see people succeed. So get people to buy in and then like show them your medal at the end. Like people want to see you succeed, but you have to be organized and like upfront about it. Um, and that's sometimes scary for people trying new sports. They're like, well, I don't, I don't want people to know. Cause like, what if I fail? It's like, ah, what if you fail? It's a great story. Like it's fine. Um, but you gotta get people to buy in and get yourself organized. I've heard that too. People, I'm like, I promise you that m nobody else cares what your actual finish time was. All they no. think is that it's so cool that you did it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I, so I have a race next weekend. I'm racing a half Ironman. Um, and I say racing, I'm just participating. I'm just showing up. We're hanging out. We're going to go do this thing. And I'm like, honestly terrified. I might DNF on the bike. Like I, I it's a very, it's a hilly bike ride. If you live in Maine, uh, it's like 3,200 feet of climbing. And every single person I've talked to is like, Oh, no big deal. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but if I DNF, they're like, so what if you DNF? Like, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, who cares? Like who, who, I tell my athletes all the time, like, who cares? You did the training. Like sometimes it's not your day. Um, and so I think just showing up and being brave enough to just get in the water. Um, uh, so Cody, my partner, he also almost DNF'd, um, in the middle of the swim of the race that he qualified for Ironman worlds at. Okay. He was swimming, um, in open water. So in the surf in Panama city, um, they had to swim in a riptide. I come to find out because we're waiting for him on the beach and we're like, where is everyone? Like everyone we're tracking is coming in five, 10 minutes late. And we're like, this is not okay. And even though the top age groupers, everyone, every, the elites, it was just not for it, the pros. It wasn't good. He comes in about 12 minutes after his anticipated time goes out. He does the thing. He places the 11th in his age group qualifies for worlds. Everything goes happy. I ask him, I'm like, how was it? He goes, I almost pulled myself in the first 10 minutes of the swim because of the riptides and the jellyfish. He's like, I was terrified. I, I didn't want to do it. I had to talk myself out. And he, I, and I was like, well, he's like, but I was afraid. He's like, I was never afraid that someone was going to judge me. He's like, it would be my own thing. 
And I think we have to remind ourselves of that when we're training for something new, you know, you, it's going to be scary. It's going to be hard. Um, but people want you to see you succeed. So like buy people in, get them organized so you can get your training done. I want to touch on the, because we talked about the investment of time, right? Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the investment of stuff that you need to buy. Uh, and I know that this is actually like, this is kind of an issue with the sport of triathlon in general. And I'm not like, I'm not here to, to judge or anything, but look, you know, there are obviously some barriers to entry with running and yeah, a good pair of shoes can be 150 bucks and races are expensive. Um, but have you seen how much a triathlon bike costs um, right? And, yes. and, and finding entry to a pool and buying gear and buying a buoy and buy like all this stuff. So mm-hmm. let's acknowledge right off the bat, this yep. sport already has a barrier to access and, uh, issue for people who are not, um, comfortably yep. able to spend money on those types of things. So that's like yep. not awesome. And, and probably keeping some really talented triathletes out of the sport, which is a bummer. Let's talk about it. It's not cheap to no, invest it... <laughs> in triathlon. <laughs> uh, no. And ironically, I had a follower message me maybe a year ago and was like, I can't believe how expensive this race registration is. Like we as runners gawk at marathon, like worlds, right? They're like Chicago, what is it? Like two and two and a half now. Visit New York over 300. But like the cost of these races. Just to get in, just to get like once you, first of all, we have to get in, right? So once you've gotten in, then you have to fork over a couple hundred dollars. Yes. (laughs) Well, so the same, so what happens then is these race registration fees for triathlons are more expensive. Um, you might do a sprint that costs you $150. That's the equivalent of a, like a 5k level, right? For thinking like, what's like, where are we at? It might be 150 bucks. And you also have to get a USATF, um, one day license in order to race if they are a licensed, uh, race. Um, and that just has insurance backing a bunch of stuff to it. But so you now have to pay like 10 bucks on top of that to have this special license or you could buy annual blah, blah, blah. Um, but the thing to consider is like with the race fees, you're doing three disciplines. So you have a lot more road closures, a lot more volunteers, a lot more um, timing shifts, blah, blah, blah. But then just to get to the race, you might have to buy a wetsuit. Can't buy a wetsuit, you might have to rent a wetsuit, right? Depending on that, uh, goggles, 20 bucks, up to $150 for goggles. Um, we're talking bikes. You can absolutely, my first bike, um, I guess I should rotate. I have my bikes hanging. Oops, here we go. So the one on top is my original bike that I bought for $400 off of Craigslist. The one on bottom is a time trial bike that I probably didn't need, but you know what? You also get sucked into the sport and you start buying bikes. I have another bike back there. Do I need her? Absolutely not. Um, but you get, yes. So you can definitely get into the sport. Um, cycling shoes, clips, no clips. Do you need clips in order to do a triathlon? No, you do not need to race in clips. You can have cages on it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, it's basically just a little cage that goes over your pedal to keep your foot engaged. And it means you don't have to buy special cycling shoes. Um, helmets as an adult, I had to buy a helmet. I didn't realize how expensive helmets were. Like I'm used to buying them when I was a kid or something. I don't know. I was very blown away by that. Um, you don't need fancy attire though. So that's a one place where I recommend athletes save. Um, another area that I get asked a lot about for like costs, like, should I buy it or should I not? Heart rate monitor is my risk guy enough. And my question I always give back is what is your intent with training and with the race? If you're training for completion, we can 100% go off effort. 100% we can use effort-based RPE. 
But if you're looking to train the same way you train for a marathon or a half marathon with your, you know, you're always tracking your paces, you're, you have a training log, I would recommend investing in a heart rate monitor. Um, that's going to be the best way to measure your effort level during the training. Um, and then once you get to the run, you can get your shoes already. So you're kind of good. But the only thing you need to buy is a bib holder. Um, no one told me that in my first one. And I was like pinning my bib to my tri-suit. I'm like, that doesn't work. So you need a bib holder, which is another 20 bucks. But yeah, it's not cheap, unfortunately. I mean, for me personally, and I do find heart rate very valuable. Uh, I will yeah. say if you're going to spend all that money on other things, spend the hundred bucks and get the heart rate monitor, especially yeah. because when we're talking about such high volumes of training, we really need to make sure that you're not doing too much yeah. and the too much intensity. Right. So, and, and I, I also know that the RPE, the conversion you know, rate of perceived exertion, that key is perceived, right? So I might have my RPE dialed in as a runner. Like I know exactly what my RPE is on a runner. I hop on a bike. I don't have the skill set to understand yep. my RPE on the bike because exactly. it's a different sport. So that's when I think heart rate is super helpful. Absolutely. And one caveat to all this is if you're looking to get into the sport of triathlon, get on Facebook, join like local tri club Facebook groups, because there are just like running. Once you get deep into the sport, what do you do? You start buying all the stuff and then you realize you have 15 pairs of gooders and you haven't worn five in the last six months. You want to get rid of them, right? Little things like that. And you're like, oh my gosh, triathletes do the same thing. So there are always people looking to get rid of things. Um, and you can probably get something, you know, previously loved at a really good price just to see if you like it. Um, and with bikes, bikes, bikes get very expensive. Um, bikes upwards of more than like many of your first cars. Um, but you do not have to spend that. I encourage and remind athletes all the time. It is not the bike that makes the athlete. You, the athlete are the engine. Can a bike improve your performance? Absolutely. But it's not going to make your performance. So make sure you kind of keep that in mind. Like if you have a budget you want to spend, then that is perfect. That is, that is the bike for you. If that's what works within your budget, you do not have to go and spend a mortgage payment on a bike, um, until you're invested in the sport and becomes that you know, important to you. And there is so much gear and echo this available secondhand, uh, especially as people, let's say somebody did buy an entry level bike and then they're upgrading and they're selling that bike, right? Mm -hmm. You, there are people who just thought they were going to get into it and then never did thought mm -hmm. they were going to get super into it. Never did. Um, you know, if obviously if you have the money and you feel like buying a $6,000 bike for your very first triathlon, like, sure, go ahead and go do it. it. But that's not yeah. going to be many people. Let's be honest. Right. Yeah. And it's not going to make you a better cyclist. I think that's, it's not going to improve your performance. I'm going to go back to my partner in this one. Cody is biking on a pre-owned, he made it to world. So he's, we're going to Finland next month um so if you're interested check out our stories um but we're gonna be in finland he made it to worlds his bike oh gosh it's like two three years old and like it, it's not fancy like it has it's bare minimum it's heavy um it's specialized it's a, it's a road bike but you don't need a top end bike to get into the sport um please i i hear that all the time that that's like the biggest barrier and i'm like i get it bikes can be expensive especially during the pandemic you couldn't find it everyone had a bike um but please don't think you have to go out, like let's just send like six, seven, eight, ten grand. Um, no, you don't need that. Let's talk about the transitions. Uh, Cause this is, this is like, 
such a unique thing that I don't think people really think about. They're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta swim and then I gotta ride and then I gotta run. And you're like, but you then have to get out of the water. And there are very Mm -hmm. specific rules and regulations about how you go through your transition in these sanctioned sports. So talk to us about that. Yeah. All right. So one, your transition times are included in your overall time. So keep that in mind when you're transitioning. So Think of it as when, as a road runner, right? If you were to stop at every water station and stand there for a minute and drink your water and then start running again, that minute is included in your overall time. Um, so keep that in mind as you're going through all this. The other thing to remember is your transition period might differ from race to race. That's why you can't always compare times when you're doing like a sprint to a sprint because maybe in your first sprint, it was, you know, uh, starting the timing mat for your transition at the exit of the water and then your transition started and you ran up a hill you ran left and you did all this barefoot you're not allowed to put shoes back on so you might have to run over rocks you might have to run over grass pavement i've run through parking lots without my shoes on um so keep that in mind but then you know maybe you have like three minutes where you're just like running across the parking lot before you can even strip your wetsuit or you know put your helmet on and do all these things so that's a piece of it as well. Um, keeping in mind when you do get out of the water and you putting on your cycling shoes, all of that jazz, the number one piece of advice, put your helmet on first, get to your station and put your helmet on, do everything else. Because if you leave transition and you do not have your helmet on 99.999% of the time, if you cross over that mat and your helmet is not clipped, you are DQ'd. Um, same rules apply. Yeah. This is like showing up to a race. You're like your shoe untied. Like, yeah, that's the equivalent. It's, it's, it seems like, Oh, I'll just run back and get it. No, they'll probably DQ you. Um, the same rule applies with when you are going to set up your transition area. So say it's the morning of, and you're, this is especially true for Ironman. Um, I can't speak to all triathlons, but in Ironman, if you're taking your bike to transition and an official sees you and you are not wearing a helmet, you are DQ'd. You haven't even put your bib on. It's not even race day. It's the day before race day. and You're just dropping your bike off. Um, so helmets are super important. So that is a huge one that I remind Safety my athletes first. of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it just seems so silly because some people might be dropping, especially when you're dropping your bike off, you might park in the parking lot. It might be like a 50 meter walk. So you're like, oh, it's 50 meters. But if a race official sees you and you don't have your helmet on, you're out. Um, let me, let me actually ha- ask you about that. Is anybody else allowed to set up your transition for you or do you have to do it? Is anybody else allowed to touch your stuff? No, no one else allowed to touch your stuff. So when you are dropping off all of your equipment, that's a great question. When you're dropping everything off and depending on the race, so most races will have one transition area. These are referred to as T1 and T2. T1 is where you come out of the water and you go to get your bike. That's T1, transition one. T2 is where your bike meets your run, T2. If you have everything at one spot, you will get there on race morning and you will be provided, you know, they check your bib, they check your stuff and they say, okay, go on in and you can set up your transition area. Nobody other than athletes and volunteers are allowed in the transition area. I'm also speaking from an Ironman perspective there. Smaller races might allow you, but nine times out of 10, I have not done a triathlon where family members have been allowed to enter the transition area. Um, Same rules apply with picking up your bike and dropping off your bike. They do a bike check. So you normally get a wristband or you get the number written on you somewhere and they will check. This is how we ensure that the person 
with the Craigslist bike and the guy with the you know Porsche bike don't exchange bikes uh, during transition, but they do cross check all of that. Um, so no, nobody else is allowed in transition except for athletes and volunteers. And then the other one that I was thinking of in terms of like specificity to triathlon, some races to prevent athletes from coming out of the bike too fast. So maybe you finish the bike um, and you're coming into where the uh, you have to sometimes they disembark, but that's not what it's called, but you have to get off your bike, <laughs> but you have to get off your bike. Um, and you have to walk your bike in. They will actually prohibit you from being in a crouched or arrow position. And that is just so that the cyclists slow down. Um, but then that breath, there's also a space in transition where you pick up your bike, say you're in T2 and you come out of T2. You are not allowed to get on your bike until you hit a certain point. Once you hit that, that's the mounting station. That's what it is, mount and dismount. Once you get on the mount line, you're allowed on your bike. You head out. I know this sounds like a lot of rules, and I'm sure runners listening to this going, what? That's so much to think about. Triathlons have so many volunteers. You'll be fine. You'll be totally fine. I remember I did a race last year, and it was a 25-mile bike ride, and I was, like, petrified that I was going to get lost. But they had so many volunteers, like, pointing us in the right direction, so don't panic. But there are a lot of rules. Read your race guides. <laughs> and this is, I mean, this is what I tell people when they're, when they're running any new distance for the first time It's like, look, you may have a general performance goal that we're hoping to achieve, but the first time you do any new distance, you are simply there to figure out, okay, what's it like to do this? How do I feel when I do this? What are the things I didn't anticipate? You know, you are getting to know that distance so that then yep. you can go back and do it again better and be more comfortable yep. with it the next time. So whether it's half marathon, marathon, or a half Ironman, the yep. first time you do one, you are simply there to be like, all right, so what's this all about? Yeah. What are we doing here? What's going on? And I think that's a great, like, you know, question of like, what race distance should I start with? Like, should I, you know, I've done 10 marathons. Should I just go right to the half Ironman. And it depends what's one, your comfort level of doing something new. Can you manage your expectations right now? I have a lot of athletes that are targeting 2024 half Ironmans. So they're spending 2023 in sprints and Olympics. Why to get comfortable with the sport, you know, to find what's the one thing I don't like and how can I learn to like it? Like what's something that makes me uncomfortable that I want to get better at. And so using this season again, periodization to kind of do that. So I, I think for sake of our listeners time, we're just going to skip over nutrition because that is legitimately its own entire episode, yes. triathlon nutrition, like Absolutely. not even, this is, <laughs> we can't, I would nutrition. be here. Yeah. Yeah. We'd be, we'd be here, here all day. Talk nutrition. Yeah. But I do want to talk about <laughs> metrics and what we call fancy training, uh, training that you might see somebody else doing or a training method that somebody else might be using, or they're using like really sophisticated modeling, or they're using these really fancy style of measurement of this specific thing. Um, and talk about how you probably don't need that. I think that I was talking about this on another episode that I did recently. You know, I think that so often with runners, uh, just with, with athletes in general, we tend to put the cart before the horse on some of the really fancy stuff when it's like, you're not, I mean, maybe, maybe that will be applicable to you one day, but we're not anywhere near that right now. And to yeah. be honest, spending the time and investment of your energy and possibly money into that, like you could put that elsewhere for a better benefit. 100%. I get this a lot with cycling. Um, a lot of athletes asking me, 
do, do, do I need Zwift? Do I need whatever the other one's name is? We use Zwift. Um, do I need to get a power meter, right? Do I? And so all these other questions about cycling and I'm like, look, it's your first triathlon. Let's just go. Let's just bike. How do let's just like, sometimes I'll be honest, like I'm transitioning a, a runner to triathlon. Their work, their weekend workout might just be bike outside. Just go outside because outdoor cycling is so much different than indoor cycling. You can buy a trainer, all those things. Um, but it, simplicity is key. There are so many metrics. I mean, the power meter, fancy training gives you so much data. Um, it kind of talks about, you know, if you have a Garmin and you have it where it tells you where your foot strike is and how much time you spend on each foot and your vertical oscillation and all these other terms, it's probably not relevant to most of us. Um, and quite honestly, unless you're calibrating it regularly, there's a high likelihood of error. Uh, so like we experienced this with power meter the other day because we kept like, why is the one pedal? Like there's no way you're 60% on your left. Like something's weird. We recalibrated it. Yeah, that's what it was. So yeah, you don't need all this fancy training. Honestly, if you're going to do anything fancy, get a heart rate monitor. That's like the best, the best fancy that us mere mortals should be using. And I'll even go a step further and say, I mean, because I, I agree the same way. It's like, yeah, just because you can measure it doesn't mean that you need to or that it's information that's going to be useful for you. And I think a yep. lot of people get caught up in the, well, because my thing is spitting all this information out at me, this must all be things that are really important to me. And I'm like, no, it's no. not. I mean, no. and I'll even say it's going going kind of a step further with, with heart rate training. Um, what we typically, and I have like a whole masterclass on heart rate zone training, but what we typically think of in our, our traditional watches spit out, they use a five zone model, right? Five zone heart rate model, Garmin's five zone heart rate model, Strava's five zone heart rate model, right? Um, most people don't even need five zones. Most people need three heart rate zones. <laughs> so actually what your, what your five zone model is, is a more complicated version of a traditional three zone model where zones one and two are actually the low zone. Zone three is the middle zone and zones four and five are the high zone, right? So I think even for to simplifying even more for most people, yeah. you know, and don't get me started on people who are like, well, with my lactate threshold seven zone heart rate model, I'm like, I guarantee I was going to say, well, let's talk about like seven, let's talk about the seven zones. Like that's like, you get really deep into it. And we have, um, our, one of the heart rate monitors we have goes into seven zones. It's like five, A, B, and C. And I'm like, oh my Lord, nobody cares. If you're spending so much time in that high, like nobody cares. Like there's, again, if we were managing with a glucose monitor of where our lactose was, if we were doing all these fancy studies on a consistent, regular basis, knowing that our nutrition, our hydration, and our sleep were consistent, then the data would matter a little bit more. But I think we've discussed this one in the past of just like, if you can't get those foundational things under control, the other data that your watch is yelling at you for is probably actually being influenced by something else and not actually your fitness in that activity. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's tough though. Cause I feel like, you know, we, we, this, this is all, I think driven by an honest desire to do the best we yes. can. Absolutely. Right. Cause this is not to say if you, and I, I fell into the metrics trap too. Like I, I went ham on measuring and everything and tracking oh, yeah. and I had spreadsheets and like models <laughs> and like projections and regressions and all this kind of yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. And I, I, the longer that I spend in my sport as a runner and the longer that I coach, the more and more I'm into simplifying, oh. right? Make it simple. Like yes. in, in, we might look at what, and here's the thing. I mean, I love shows like the Tour de France show on Netflix and I love reading about the things that like the Norwegians are doing with lactate mm -hmm. threshold, double threshold style training. Like this is really cool stuff to read about, but that is not 
how 99.8% of us need to train. That is unnecessarily complicated for almost everybody that I know personally. Agreed. Agreed. And it's, it's not taking into account, like remind yourself those individuals that are doing that, that is all they do for a majority of them. Like not many of them are going and doing a nine to five and going to a baseball game on Saturday nights with their friends and taking care of the kids and giving bubble baths. And like, that's not what most of these high level athletes, are they participating in that? Maybe in the off season a little bit more, probably, but like, it's, it's, it's not applicable to like you were saying who we train, who we are. Um, and even what our goals are to be completely honest, like if your goal is to be on tour de France, like, we're probably not the coaches for you to do that. Like, I'm just going to nope. be real. Like, <laughs> I'm not here to help you do that. I'd be like, uh, that's beyond my skill set. Um, I could throw you out of how to tell you how to throw the water bottle though. Their water bottle skills are like insane. Um, that's about it though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I just think like, yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. Like it's fascinating information and it's interesting reads of like, wow, that's how the human body works. And it's just with everything else we have going on in life. I'd rather you invest your time in going out for a walk. To be completely honest, that's probably going to be like, li- hear about it, but like listen to an audiobook while you're walking or something like that. Like you're going to be get more gain out of that physical movement than you will out of like trying to drive 20 minutes to go in cryotherapy for three minutes to just drive home. Or spend that extra time sleeping or spend that money investing yes. in working with a sports dietitian or yes, a gym absolutely. membership so you can lift heavy when it's appropriate. Like there are, you know, we we have to understand that our time is the most finite resource that we have. And unless you are somebody who just won the lottery and has decided to become a full-time professional athlete with unlimited resources, right? You do not have unlimited time and money. And so you have to be very intentional about what works and what is not a good investment of your time. And for most people that I know, getting an extra 30 minutes of sleep is way, way better for you than doing that cryotherapy session or spending, you know, it just, it's just like, I, I, we really tend to underestimate the foundations of what are actually Mm going to help us improve and overestimate the importance of these little, like, well, isn't that nice? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's great. I'm sure the recovery companies out there like hate us right now. So we're just like, you don't need any of that. It's fine. Take a nap. Um, but no, it truly is that of like, we also are always searching for, the secret. What is going to make me better? Like a lot of times athletes will pick up triathlon if they're like, oh, I'm already swimming or biking. You know, like we said at the beginning of the episode, I'm already doing these as cross training. I may as well make a sport out of this without really recognizing like, no, no, this is like a totally different thing. That's not your secret sauce to getting faster. Actually, you're probably going to slow down a little bit. Um, you know, doing triathlons is not going to make you a faster runner. Uh, it's not like that. So I think just remembering like, no, I need to do the simple things, do the foundational elements. And if I like and have time and resources for the other things, cool, go do that. But no, that's not going to make or break your training. How often have you seen, because that was one of my questions is that people kind of using triathlon as a way to like, well, if I spend a season doing triathlon, it's going to make me even a, a better marathoner and I'll finally get my BQ goal or, you know, whatever it is they're chasing. Cause because of the volume and the fitness, obviously you, it requires yeah. a very high level of fitness to do one of these races, but you're saying it just what we talked about with those pros trying to uh, transition into single yeah. sport uh, disciplines. That's not always how it works out. No, what they end up actually doing, the pros that do end up trying to get faster in their sport is they end up dropping their distances, just like we recommend in running, right? If you want to be a faster marathoner, 
go become a faster half marathoner first and then take your distance back up. So a lot of these pro triathletes are going from the half Ironman distance to racing a ton of uh, Olympic distances so they can get faster. Um, I digress. When athletes are entering this triathlon sport to the idea of getting faster, you might get faster at the shorter stuff because your aerobic capacity is increased. Um, and then maybe if you dip into like a short little cycle, but going one for one and saying, okay, if I'm going to do, I'm a half, I'm a, I'm a half marathon athlete. I'm going to do a half Ironman. There's a half marathon at the end. I'm going to crush it. No, because you are going to be engaging in so many more slow twitch fibers to complete that event. Um, I remember finishing my first half Ironman. I looked at my friend who did it with me and I was like, she's done 50 Ks. And I'm like, was that harder than a 50K? Because I feel like this was harder. Was this harder? Please tell me. And I'm like, on a scale of marathon to 50K. And the reason I bring that up is because I was comparing a half Ironman distance to a marathon, just like we talked about with the training. So if I'm training for a marathon, thinking it's going to get better in my half, those don't correlate because we know marathon pace is slower than marathon pace. Um, so I think if you use it in the right dosing, meaning you want to go out and do some sprints, that might help you in the 5K. You want to do, you know, an Olympic, it might help you in the 5K, but it's not going to help you in the longer distance stuff um, just because so many more slow twitch muscles are involved that it doesn't translate. Interesting. That's really interesting. And of course, you know, that totally aligns with the principle of specificity, right? That we know that really in order to get better at one specific thing, you have to do things that are specific to that one thing. Now, yep. interestingly enough, sometimes with the principle of specificity, it's like, you know, unlike field athletes, right? Like the hammer throw or the javelin where you can get ultra specific, you know, we do a lot of things in the service of our specificity that is actually non-specific, right? Like if I'm trying to become yep. really good at, at half marathons, I still have to include a lot of that slow stuff, but broadly speaking, right? If I'm, if I want to get really good, let's say I want to drop my mile PR training for 10 hours a week, mostly slow twitch. I mean, yeah, it might boost my overall aerobic fitness a little bit and I might see a performance yeah. boost, but it's not going to specifically help me get faster at the mile. Correct. Exactly. And so if I also looking at like periodization, like where are you looking to use it? What are you looking to use it for? Um, if, if your goal, like maybe you're coming off something and you're like, I want to increase my aerobic capacity and like, I just want to do something different, something fun. Great. That's a great way to build some VO2. Great way to like take advantage. I'm going to digress and not say build VO2 because we're all built with a substandard set. So it's like enhance what I was given. Um, but if we want to build in how much, you know, can we use our, our aerobic capacity? That's one place. But to take it and say, I'm in season and I'm going to do a sprint uh, triathlon on Saturday and the following Saturday, go race a 5k to your point specificity. Absolutely not. Like there's just, there's no correlation in the types of workouts you're doing, the intensity levels. Like, no, probably not. If you were to use it as part of a buildup, you might be able to play with it. But again, that plays with the coach. Like I'm looking at it going, that's a fun puzzle. I bet you I could make that work. How could I play with that? And that's why you hire a coach. Cause we look at it from that perspective. And it's not just taking a stock training plan and trying to layer them on top of each other and say, Oh, that's going to be a marathon PR. Um, I'm actually now kind of thinking my wheels are turning. So now I'm going to be sitting around playing with training plans this afternoon. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you got my brain thinking puzzle. on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us about the triathlon. This was such a fun conversation. I hope that maybe we piqued some people's interest if they were thinking about it and thinking like, I don't know, this sounds like something I'd be interested in. Hopefully we've helped them understand a bit more about 
how to start, what that might look like. Obviously, if you, you know, have a relatively strong running base, it's going to be much easier than if you were coming in naive to all three sports. Uh, but you also, like you said, do coach people who are interested in transitioning from running into triathlon. So if somebody's learned interested in learning more about you or working with you, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. I'm at run with coach D. Uh, if you want to read more about what I do, uh, my training packages, all those types of fun things, you can find me at runwithcoachd.com uh, or you can email me runwithcoachd at gmail.com. Real simple. Uh, easy, more than happy easy, to talk. Real yeah, simple. easy, easy. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is so much fun. I know it yes. will be the, the last episode that we do together. So Yay, I appreciate it. I loved it. it. Thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. It was good to chat again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.